nervous because you care about what you're doing. That nerves are a good thing. I think if you're feeling nervous, it should just be kind of a cue to you that this is somewhere that you want to be. And that's always something that I, you know, my best races are when I feel at my best, I think I'm always just like, wow, I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm excited about this competition and just really recognizing the nerves and saying, hey, that's my, that's me telling myself that this is what I've been working for. And I think sometimes you sense the nerves and think, oh gosh, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? I'm having these feelings because I shouldn't be here. And I think just remembering that it's the exact opposite. That was Marielle Hall, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 171. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I don't have any magic answers. I can't give you a miraculous 10-day six-step life hack plan for anything, really. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm so over that quick fix approach, honestly. And my guess is maybe you are too. Perhaps that's why you're here. So we'll be diving into today's episode in a few minutes. But before that, I have two quick things that I want to share with you. The first is a reminder that this is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, where we talk about things like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health. We talk about grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. My hope is that these conversations will make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, while also challenging you to consider a new perspective from someone whose lived experiences might be different from your own. That's really important. And then the other thing that I want to tell you is that you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions on this podcast because these conversations, they're 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations do indeed make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. This tangible financial support, that's what allows me to keep making new episodes and it pays everyone involved in making Real Talk Radio. That includes me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all my guests, and our community recently met the funding goal that makes that possible now. So all the guests whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for their time with us, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or to have a listener-funded show, but I fully believe that where we spend our money, it's a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. So that's what your financial support contributes to. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series called Notes of Grit and Grace. That's where I share my real life in real time. 
Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profit is donated to a different social justice organization. With past donations going to places like Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution as well. Over on our Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together after the release of each new season, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to support the show. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Marielle Hall. Marielle is an American track and field athlete who specializes in the 5,000 meter and 10,000 meter race distances. She competed in the women's 5,000 meters event at the 2015 World Championships in Beijing, as well as the women's 10,000 meter final at the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio. A two-time NCAA All-American, Marielle is now a Nike-sponsored athlete and a member of the Bowerman Track Club. In this episode, Marielle shares details and stories from the ups and downs of her life as a runner. We talk about what drives her, how she moves past disappointment, what it was like to compete at the Olympics, plus her current goal-setting strategy and how she handles everything from imposter syndrome to comparison. Even if you aren't interested in running, so much of what she shares about surrender, finding freedom in structure, and the importance of being honest with yourself is so applicable and helpful. I loved this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy listening too. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are rolling. Marielle, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. What are you totally obsessed with right now? That's a really good question. Um, I feel like totally obsessed with all the time is music. I don't drink very much. I don't drink coffee at all. So I feel like music is my, that's how I start my day. I, it creates my mood within myself. It creates like who I want to be on that day. I feel like it influences what kind of clothes I'm going to wear. I just, yeah, I'm always searching for new artists to create a new mood for myself. (laughs) What is your can't stop playing it on repeat song right now? Another really good question. I'm going to go to so I can be honest I'm gonna go to recently played see what I listened to this morning (laughs) um let's see I'm listening to a lot of um I listen to Solange album a lot I think I listened to that a few times through full way car to on the drive to Nike and then back home it has like a really cool visual album to go with it as well. And I just think she's a really just on another level in terms of artistry. <laughs> I don't always understand what her vision is, but I think it's been, it's been fun to listen to her stuff. Yeah, totally. I, I agree on the another level of artistry with her for sure. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I wish I was in your circle. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's, for this album in particular, I know that um, she focused a lot on just a mood instead of there's like there's not that many words or lyrics. So it's kind of just a lot of it is just this is a particular vibe that I felt or 
an emotion. It's not so much a lyrical album. So I thought that was interesting and pretty cool. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't drink coffee. I don't know why that surprises me. I guess I like don't know any runners that don't drink, <laughs> drink coffee. Um, is that has that always been true? Is that a recent thing? It's just always. I never got started. I have a terrible sweet tooth, so if I were to drink coffee, it would be, you know, all of the everyone would turn their nose down at the amount of sugar and whatever, um, you know, whatever else I mixed into it. So I feel like I would just be adding another bad thing into my (laughs) um, nutritional, you know, into my habits nutrition wise. So I just never really started. And now I feel like I'm further enough along where if I'm if I'm still kicking, then I don't really need it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't like coffee and I also don't drink it. I drink caffeinated tea. Um, but yeah, that's just so funny. I, I mean, I guess that's like one of those potentially like myths or misconceptions that I just think like, oh, you know, runners drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I think it is pretty rare to make it this far and not drink coffee. I'm not like against it. If somebody gave me a cup of coffee, I wouldn't turn my nose down and not drink it. I just, I don't really have I also am like finicky about things. If you have to acquire a taste for it, I'm like, eh, I don't believe in that. <laughs> you like something or you don't. And I think like black coffee is one of those things where you really have to um, like wean yourself off of the sweeter stuff and get used to just having regular plain coffee, which I could be wrong. I know that there's a lot of, um, there's so many different options now. Um, so I'm sure there's something that I would like, but I just, my sweet tooth is, it's bad. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to tempt it. I love it. That's funny. So we're a couple months into the year. When you think about this year, what's something that feels really important to you? What's on your mind? Um, I think I started the year with just the idea of space. That was one thing where I really just felt like I, I wanted to have room just not particular for myself, but for ideas and for people to feel like um, they had, like through me, they can see themselves in a space where maybe they didn't see themselves before. And I wanted to feel that way within myself. Like if I'm, I like one of the sayings that I really like is, you know, if you go into a room and you don't really see anyone that looks like you or talks like you, just know that there's, you know, a group of people back home or somewhere that's really rooting you on and is excited about what you're doing and just an advocate for you. And that was one, when I started the year, I just like the word space just meant a lot to me, like making your own, just having room to be yourself, have your own ideas, but also creating space for others to feel that same way um, with what they're doing. Yeah. So when you were younger, because I think this is an interesting idea, like obviously you're talking about it through the the word space, but I'm also thinking like representation comes to mind, right? With what you're talking about. When you were younger, who did you look up to in that way? Or who did you look at and think, you know, oh, they're in a space that I want to be in or anything like that? Uh, I think that, yeah, that's funny just because I think when you're younger, everything is so literal. It's like, if I don't see someone with, you know, my hair, my skin tone, my eyes, my height, um, they're female, then I don't see myself there. Obviously, as you get older, you learn through people and you you match up with their values or 
um, you know, what they believe in. You can see, you can extract different qualities and see yourself in those spaces or in those places. But I think when I was younger, that was a harder thing to do because everything is just so black and white. Like, you know, orange is orange, blue is blue, red is red. And that's all you really know and see. So I don't, when I was growing up for running, you know, for example, there's so many incredible female athletes that I had to look at. One of them being Shalane and Dina and just people that were doing so well on the American scene as well as the international. But I remember growing up and being wanting to be a sprinter just because that's where I saw myself. And that wasn't because I was, you know, super fast or that I was going to become, you know, an Olympic hundred meter runner. It was just because that was what I recognized as somewhere where I could be athletically. So uh, I don't know. I, I felt like look, growing up, I didn't even really look to running for role models. Um, I was looking at other places, you know, my family and I, we watched the Williams sisters a ton for tennis. We watched, I grew up going to see a lot of um, Alvin Ailey. It's a dance company. And I just, those were the things that I recognized. Maybe they weren't runners, but they were high achievers. Uh, so I kind of took to those places to really like see a ver better version of myself rather than directly where I was. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your first experience with organized running? I do. Yes. I have like the clearest picture of it. I was, my mom signed me up for our youth. Uh, it's called Marlton Track Club. We met at the track. I remember I had a George Washington Carver book because I was doing a book report on him and I was reading up on him. I was alone sitting on the max. I didn't know anybody. So I was like, I'll bring my book. <laughs> Not a great way to meet people. And I just remember sitting there and the coach's instructions were pretty much like this is the all the new people, you're not going to be able to keep up with the people that have been doing this for years. So, you know, just get out there, do this loop, which should be called the big O, do your best, you know, but you're not expected to keep up with these people. And I remember like I heard that. And then obviously you like you have competitiveness kick in. So I was like, okay, I can, I'm so just going to go out and just run with the fast group. And I kind of just remember going along with with Bria, which is um, one of my, just one of my best friends to this day, going running with her. Her dad was the coach and one of the person that gave the instructions, like, this isn't who you're going to keep up with. And I remember doing the loop with her and we were just talking the whole time. And yeah, we talked about siblings. She's an only child. I told her about my sister. Um, we were, I just, it was, we were talking the whole time, really enjoying myself. I didn't even feel tired because my sister's older than me. So, and I were four years apart. So I was kind of at the age where my sister was growing and making new friends. And, you know, your primary friend isn't your sister anymore. It's you're kind of outside of that. And I just remember feeling like, oh, finally, this is kind of my first friend outside of my family growing up. You know, you're closest with your cousins, your siblings. And, I just remember feeling I wasn't even tired because I was so happy to just have found a friend. And I remember we were rounding the corner to finish and I felt bad because I was like, oh, she's supposed to beat me. Um, you know, this is my new friend. I don't want her to be mad. So I remember just feeling fine, but letting her finish the loop in before me. 
And <laughs> yeah, that's my first earliest memory of like practice and just having, enjoying the companionship and really just not listening to instructions about limitations, just kind of going out there and, and um, doing the best that I could. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. So did you finish that and obviously you could keep up with her and like was that did it like dawn on you like, oh hey, maybe I'm really good at this? I, I don't think I ever or I, at least I don't remember that thought. I just remember really enjoying it. I've always even before I did like that um, structured environment of a practice, I love I was always outside climbing trees. Um my parents always joke with me. I went to a um, like a small private Quaker school growing up. And, you know, there were a lot of distinguished <laughs> children at a young age. And one of my classmates, you know, we wrote this picture down of what we wanted to be when we grew up. And she was like, wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and a pianist, all these things. And I remember my class um, picture was just like, I want to be a player. As in, I wanted to be outside. <laughs> I just new recess and play. So I combined that career for myself of, I just wanted to be outside. I I love moving my body, challenging myself. And that recess, that feeling of play was the closest thing I could think of to a career that I wanted. (laughs) And pretty lucky now to be um, running professionally. That's as close to play as I think I could get. So I love that. Can I be recess as a career? That's what I think. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah. So do you, like, do you remember the first time that like someone told you that running was an actual career, that you could do this? I do. I mean, I grew up in or around um, Penn Relays, which is a pretty famous um, distance car- or relay carnival that takes place at the University of Pennsylvania and Franklin Field every year. And it's just a really large standing tradition in the running community of relays on the East Coast. And, you know, I grew up just 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia. So I'm going to this track meet with my dad and Bria, her dad, the girl that I mentioned before. I'm going to this meet with them every year. You know, we're on the sidelines. We're seeing these people that we saw see in the Olympics or that we see on TV, they're right in front of us, you know, just at our fingertips. So I grew up knowing that, you know, there was a larger stage to what I was doing, but I never really thought like, Hey, this is a career that I could do or that, you know, there's steps to take to get there. Um, once again, when you're younger, I just think everything is so, Oh, that person's on stage. So they're always on stage. You don't understand how the steps it takes to get there, how people get there, um, the work that they put in. I think that that part was definitely missed for me, just connecting those dots. So, yeah, I don't know that I ever really saw it as something that this is what I can do or this is what I'm going to do. So what did you think that you were going to do? Did you have, you know, a career path in mind, so to speak? Um. I I feel like my interests have just changed so much since high school through college and even now. But um, I do remember like my high school coach, him getting like really upset with me that when I came to him and told him like a few of the schools that I was looking at or that I was interested in, he was kind of like one of them didn't even have a running program. 
and he was real. He was so mad about it. He was yelling, and he was just really kind of scolding me, like, "Why would I not think bigger? Why would I not see myself to be at a college with where I could even have the chance to compete?" Um, so I feel like he really was the first person that was like, "Hey, look, this is a real career. People are doing this, and." and doing it well, at least give yourself the opportunity. Um, if you're going to be out here doing the work all the time, you know, at least give yourself a chance. So I, I feel like he was the first person that really was showed me, you know, like they said, there are running websites where all your results will be. And these are the schools that are the powerhouses, you know, these are coaches that, um, that I like and that I trust. And I just really kind of held on to his guidance because, I, I just felt like he really saw something in me. And that was the first time. And, you know, I think it's one thing to have your parents tell you you're wonderful all the time, which I'm always grateful for. But having that outside lens of someone who's had success coaching other individuals who, you know, has no reason to validate you, validates you. I think that that goes a long way. And you don't need that constantly. You don't need that grooming as you get older or every day. But I think everyone, when they're younger, has that person that really, that's not necessarily their family. Maybe it is their family, um, but just has someone that kind of validates them in a new way. Um, so I felt like my coach in high school really was that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, of course, it's so great to have supportive family and friends and all of that, but there is something unique about, like you just said, it's someone that doesn't have to say those things to you, right? Or doesn't have to pour that energy into it. Like having that support or having someone to be like, look, this is possible if you want to try. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's just for some reason, I don't know why, like now my parents and my family, I, I seek them out for advice before I, I go to anyone, but for some reason, I think just like young brains developing, you're all, you're still looking for that outside um, cue. Um, and, I, and that was just important for me. Yeah. So how old were you when you went to that first practice where you brought a book and made a friend? <laughs> uh, brought a book and made a friend. I like that. Um, I want to say that I was in fifth grade. Okay. So, And you're how yeah. old now? I'm 27. Okay. So my, I mean, my interests and hobbies and like even career path, like I feel like I've changed so much in that time span. There's really nothing or almost nothing that I feel like I've consistently been doing for that long. And I'm so interested in like what that, what has it been like for you to be this dedicated on like a virtually daily basis to something for that amount of time? Yeah, I, I think I've talked about this with like a few of my teammates, which is are you just so grateful to have this one solid, you know, for the amount of things I feel like everything else in my life or at least in my head feels a little bit busybody, you know, like one I'm really interested in um this author or this music or this show. Um, this person, like I'm really interested in that for a period of time, but having something like running, it doesn't feel burdensome. It's like, I always can come back to it. And I just use so I feel like now I'm just using all of my new interests to kind of grow this one thing that I, for some reason, you know, just haven't really been able to shake. It's that big of a passion for me that, you know, I, 
I want to continue to keep formulating ways to get better. And I just think it it's just really fulfilling because you're basically just putting the pieces of yourself together. You know, not no one runner is the same. No one person is the same. What works for you is not going to work for someone else. And I think it just really forces you to do a lot of personal work of, you know, what makes me tick, what makes me excited. And I'm answering all these questions so that I can run a faster time. But I also and, you know, not ignoring the fact that it is also helping me just grow as a person and answering questions that everyone has to answer at some point, no matter what. Um, I'm just getting the opportunity to do it for, uh, you know, for a sport, which is, which is pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot in here that I want to ask you more about. This might seem like kind of a strange or a simple question, but you know, when you were just talking about how passionate you are about running, what is it about it that you love? Like you just said, every runner is different. Like what does it give you? Uh, I would say it's, I mean, two things, just having something. So being able to have something to get the most out of yourself and yes, that's on like a physical and a mental level. Like I'm constantly challenged to evaluate the things that I'm saying to myself, good or bad you know, if I'm, if I don't like the way my hair looks one day, or if I don't like the way that my body is, I I think that this, it's not something that I can just brush under the table. Like I have to get in a bikini and get on a track with a bunch of people. (laughs) And, you know, I have to feel good about it. I have to be confident. I can't just kind of walk out the door and just, you know, throw those feelings aside. Like I have to address them. And I'm just, I feel like that's why I love what I'm doing right now so much is because it forces me to address issues within myself. And also just, I can really like end the day saying, you know, I pushed myself in this one way, you know, nobody's going to end their day having completely just exerted themselves in every, in every facet. But I have this one controlled element where I know that I'm just doing everything that I can to, um, to better myself, put the pieces of me together as best as I can. And that's just, you know, selfishly that that's fulfilling, but I also do think it makes me better person to interact with in the world. Like, I feel like I'm a better daughter because of it. I'm a better friend. Um, you know, I'm a better listener, I'm a better learner, all those things. And just that consistent self betterment, I feel like for running, just, I love that. And, you know, I just love that I have something that I can get out the door. I can do by myself. I can do with other people. It's it's a challenge. Um, I just really, you know, you like it's you're having control of your own body. You're you're asking things of yourself that seem insurmountable, but you work through it. All those things I think are, are why I keep coming back to it year after year, even when you know there are disappointing moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I don't know if this is something that you can speak to because maybe you're just so used to it that it's like not a thing in your mind, but I feel like it's really interesting with running and especially like doing it as a career that more than a lot of other careers, it's so quantifiable, right? Like you either ran the time or you didn't, you won the race or you didn't, you made the team or you didn't, right? Like there's, uh, I think about it, there's other things like for me, like with my own work, like there's very little that's like that 
measurable, I guess, or that's like, and especially like measurable and easy to understand, like from everyone, right? That people can watch it and spectate it and like really be part of that process. What's that like for you? Yeah. I I mean, I I think the measure, measure part of it, just, you know, it holds you accountable. You, there's a standard of the outside world of what's fast and, you know, you, you're held to that as well, but you also have, you create standards within yourself. You know, what am I, and that's, you know, your the coaches also create standards on a workout day. What times are you going to run? Um, and then like holding yourself accountable to those things. So I, I just, I think that I'm not scared of having measurable results or goals. Um, I think that that's something that is really unique about the world that we live in is there's so many paths now for people to be in their, you know, quote unquote own lane and make their own metrics of what success is and what isn't. But I also think it's okay to step up to something and say, this is a standard of high achievement. I'm going to go after that. I may not get it, but that's, I can still become better through it. I can still um, learn how to continue to rise from, um, you know, difficult challenges or situations. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to ever not want to be a part of um, this running metric system where, the, you know, there's failure and there's success. Um, I think there's a lot of people within the sport who have crafted success in ways now that maybe wouldn't have been um, measured before. So, you know, that's also exciting. People are just finding new ways to cope and, and new ways to move forward. But I think for me personally, it's exciting to, you know, have the big risk and the big fail. You don't know what's going to come out on the other side of that. So you just kind of have to keep as long as it's exciting to you. You know, it's not something that's toxic in your life. I I don't think it's something to shy away from. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right that there is a potential fear there, right? Of like that when it is such a measurable thing, right? And you're going to choose to go up against that. I remember, um, so you and I know each other through my good friend, your teammate and friend, Kate Grace. And um, when I, I was chatting with her last week of, you know, what should I ask Mariel about? You know, and one of the things that she was saying that she admires about you is that you're hard on yourself in the good way where you have really high standards that it's clear that you hold yourself to, which obviously you just like spoke to a little bit, but I'm interested to hear, well, first of all, like if you think that that's true? And if so, what that looks like in your real life? Like what, what are the standards that you hold for yourself? Yeah, I I think I hold myself to extremely high standards. I think I have like a good sense of humor, um, about failure. I mean, I think early on, it's still really hard for me and I do struggle a lot with just, you know, this didn't happen. Let's move on. Let's figure out a way to get better instead of really focusing on the actual result. Let's focus on the steps you can take to get better. I think that's definitely sometimes hard for me, but, and also sometimes I think we all struggle with this is just seeing ourselves clearly. Like sometimes you want to be, do or be something so bad and you're kind of ignoring who you actually are. And and that doesn't mean that you still can't get to the place that you want to be. But I, I think if you're not honest with 
you know, your own strengths, your own weaknesses, who you are in the grand scheme of, of what you're doing, then it's going to be hard to get to that place. So I think sometimes my, I have standards for myself that the, for the place that I am, it's just, you know, I'm asking too much of myself at this time. It doesn't mean that I can't get there, but I think sometimes I do struggle a lot with like being, I don't want to say realistic because that kind of sounds like I'm, that you're giving up on a version of yourself that could, you could very well become. Um, But I think you do have to really be able to analyze where you are on every given day, like got to check in every day and know and know yourself on that day, not on the day that you want, you know, not on the day a month or two months from now. That's a, that's a separate goal. That's a separate vision. I think just kind of being attentive to yourself in the, in every particular moment. um, That's something that I feel like I could do better on. And that's like something that I feel like I'm trying to work into my own personal values is, is just honesty and having clarity about yourself. And sometimes that means it's not always bad. Sometimes you think too little of yourself and you're settling for the way that someone is talking to you or treating you and you shouldn't. And, you know, I think sometimes I I do that as well, like shrink in situations where, you know, I do have something to say or I do want to participate, but I just kind of shrug it aside so I think that that's one like core value that I'm trying to work better within myself is just that honesty with other people and with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that so much. The I mean, honesty is obviously something that I value in general, but like more than anything, it's the self-honesty, right? Like, can I at least be completely honest with myself about how I feel or what's going on or what's true, right? It doesn't mean that I necessarily have to act on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to share it with anyone, but that there's real value in just being able to like within yourself acknowledge what's true. Yeah, I think that's said very well. So let's go back in time a little bit um, to the U.S. Olympic trials in 2016. Going into that race, how did you feel? I felt good. I felt, um, I think there's a period of the season that you kind of just have to flip the switch no matter how your training is going, how you feel, and you're just committed to making the team, achieving what you want to achieve. And for me, I feel like I've been pretty proud of the switch I've been able to flip for most U.S. championships, just like going into it and saying like, you know, I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm, co- I'm confident in myself. And I felt like in 2016, I, I did that. I did that well. I just, I knew that there, that it was going to be a tough race, a lot of emotions. Um, to be honest, I didn't know the magnitude of the Olympic trials until, um, until I really got there. And, really just kind of live the experience. I, yeah, I I don't know that I really grew up watching the trials and was really just kind of obsessive over what this meant to athletes and to the outside world. I don't know that I really understood that going in, which was kind of nice having a little bit of ignorance in that way. For me, it was just kind of, okay, I, you know, I want to make a team because, you know, that's what, that's part of, you know, why I'm doing the sport, having an opportunity to represent my country. 
Yeah. So for someone who doesn't know, can you explain um, like how you make an Olympic team in your sport? Yes. So you have to have a qualifying standard. So and the window for a qualifying standard is usually about a year long. And for every event, jumps, throws, long distance, sprints, you'll have a mark that you'll have to achieve in addition to um, placing top three in your particular event. So a combination of your mark or a time and then placing top three will get you on the team. Okay. Do you remember in uh, 2016, so I guess, first of all, you can share like what your event was and do you remember what the standard was that you had to run? I, uh, I want to say it was 32 minutes. I ran the 10 K and it was, I ran my first 10 K in, I want to say May and that's where I got my qualifying time. And then from there, my coach was just like, hey, this is a originally, you know, the year before I had qualified for the world championship team in the 5K. And that's what I the event that I've been doing throughout college or not throughout college, but my last year of college. And then my first year as a professional. So 2016 was my second year as a professional. You know, I ran the qualifying time at like a distance meet classic that Stanford puts on every year. I ran that time and that kind of just put some light bulbs off in my coach. It was like, Hey, you know, going into the Olympic trials, two events is always better than one. You have a qualifying standard for the 5k, you have it for the 10k, the 10k is before the five, you know, they're a week. The Olympic trials is a two week long event. So longer than most, um, most of our championships, just like give perspective are like three to four days. Um, so the Olympic trials is really like a much larger spectacle and also having, you know, a week of downtime before your next event, it doesn't really take away from any one race that you're going to run. You have plenty of time to recover. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, the deal that year was just, I'll have plenty of time to do both events. This gives me more opportunities to make a really hard, um, Olympic team. Yeah. So take us deep into that 10K race. Let's say, I don't know, with one lap to go, what was going on? Talk me through it. I I can never remember any specific like moments. Um, it was really hot that day. So I just remember early on, I was just kind of, my coach's instructions were, you know, like be in the back for, you want to be as invisible for as long as possible, you know, until you're not anymore. That's usually just kind of the race advice that he gave me is just tuck, tuck in, like stay relaxed, don't do any of the work. And I just remember, you know, the last few laps we were really winding up and I was getting tired. And I do remember just like being on the outside shoulder of the leader, just trying to like help push the pace a little bit because I myself was getting tired and I knew just like having separation from other runners you know, that could help me make sure that I got in. And yeah, I don't have one particular thought from, from anything. I I usually can remember one or two things, or I mostly just remember my attitude or feelings going into the race. Um, just like having a sense of calm and confidence. Those are things that always come clear, but when I'm in the race, it's usually kind of just a a big blur. (laughs) Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, but obviously you knew because you finished third, right? So like you you crossed the line and knew you made the team. Yeah, I think for some, for most of 
the, these type of events, like when you're trying to make a world championship, you want to make, you want to make an Olympic team. It's excitement, but it's also, it's just relief. Like, okay, now I can have fun <laughs> because, you know, like I'm going to the Olympics. Now I can get to a race and let's like really just embrace that as just being in the race and being in the Olympics. I, I feel like the trials, it's just, there's so much built into it. There's, you know, there's so much hype. There's so many, there's such a small percentage of people that leave happy. I think that's also part of it. You know, you finish the race and there's three people that are, you know, pleased about what they did. And the rest of the, the rest of the field of, you know, it's like 20 something people are disappointed. And, you know, maybe within that field, there's someone that finished higher than they thought they would. And, you know, they're already thinking about the next four years from now. But I think overall, when you make the team, you know, there's maybe if you there's um, you're excited a little bit later. Or like I remember later in the week or even just seeing my family, like those were things that made me happy and excited. But I, I feel like when you finish the race immediately, it's just like oh, relief. You know, like I did what I came here to do. I didn't disappoint, you know, myself or my coaches or all of those sorts of things that, you know, all the people that contributed to getting you to the starting line, you know, you're really just kind of carrying that weight with you until the race is over. And then you can kind of have time to reflect afterwards, um, to be excited and proud and happy and all those things. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you like talk so much about the relief aspect. Cause that was something that I was going to ask you is, you know, like making an Olympic team, for example, like, when you when you do that, which is something obviously you've been thinking about and working toward for so long, I know like I'm just always interested in sort of what that climax point feels like, right? Like, is it like you said, is it exciting? Is it a relief? Is it anticlimactic? Like, like it's I don't know. Like, it's such a unique experience to think about something and work towards like one very specific thing, and then it happens, and then you're like, okay, now like, I, like what that space feels like. I guess maybe it's different for everyone, but that, yeah, that's definitely something that I was curious about with you. Yeah, I would say it's totally different for every person. But for me, it's almost just like, I always say like, when I, when I achieve something that, you know, that was my personal goal, not something that somebody else created of that's a good job. Like when it was something that I really wanted, I just, I feel like that that's my best night's sleep, you know, that I ever get. I just feel so calm and just so, I don't think you, you ever, I ever feel like that restful peace calm and just that clarification that I said I wanted to do something I believed in myself for this period of time and I made it happen and of course that's exciting but for me it's just almost it's calming and to be to be able to look within yourself and say you know I wasn't crazy I was right we were right um all the molecules or whatever in my brain we all aligned we all agreed upon that this was something we could do and to me that's just that's that's peaceful. <laughs> That's like, okay, I, you know, I'm not crazy. I, I made, or not just me made this happen. You know, you have so much help, whether it be family or coaches, but I really just do feel a sense of calm and, and relief, not in a, you know, not in a bad way, just it's nice to have things align where you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, you know, that wasn't, something radical maybe it didn't really align for other people and maybe it doesn't make sense to you know somebody writing up the uh the 
who maybe somebody who's, you know, writing an article about who the favorites are going to be or who's going to run what time. But for you and within yourself, you know, you you had a plan and and just for those sorts of things to align, I think it's kind of like a special, pretty special moment. How do you balance having, you know, big goals, taking, you know, big risks like this with your goals and sort of the trap of, you know, I'll be happy when, right? Like I'll be happy when I make an Olympic team, which obviously like none of what you just said speaks to that. I'm just, and maybe I'm projecting, but I'm curious. I feel like it would be easy to kind of fall into like putting so much on this like future thing or achievement. I mean, I guess it's a corny statement, but it does ring true. Like if you really are a person that enjoys the process of things, then it becomes a lot harder to fall into that trap of if grass is greener on the other side, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I still do think that there's pinnacles of within the sport or within your own set of goals and achievements. You know, I'm always like, when this happens, like I, you know, not everything's going to be better, but I think it's just going to breathe a whole new set of confidence. And I always think it's, you know, dangerous when people have, when people have confidence and and when they see themselves clearly, that's always not everyone, people finish their life without ever having this, having that feeling or really being able to see that version of themselves. So I, it's not really for me like, oh, when I get this, everything's going to be better. I'm going to just, you know, take over the world. It's going to just be more like I know just having a result and that result leading to the possibility of being able to unleash unleash like the next layer of yourself. You know, that's exciting because I am, you know, looking forward to there being reinvention of myself and there's new versions of me and I know that or I believe that races and really being able to put myself out there competitively like that can lead to just layers and new versions of me better versions of me and um, I'm excited for that because I think that you know that could be a cool Marielle, like I want to meet her. So (laughs) I'm working hard so that I can have the opportunity to race and and to find out um, different parts of myself. Yeah, that's incredibly well said. That makes me think of something that Lauren Fleshman said when I interviewed her recently um, at a retreat that I hosted here in Bend in January. And she was talking about the value of, you know, really going for things, right? And it could be in like a running context or like any other kind of goals or writing a book or right, like something where you're really going to put yourself out there that you're putting yourself out there with kind of zero guarantee of success. And yet it's still worth it because of who you become on the other side of having tried. Yeah, of course. I, I think there's, that's honestly, if for the amount of, like I said, for something like the Olympic trials where there's three people going home happy, but you know, every year there's still hundreds of runners at every Olympic trial back on the line. Some of them had success. Some of them have had, have had none, you know, I, you keep coming back to things, um, particularly running this sport. Um, I think because there's just such, such a, such gratification in, in the work that you are forced to do. And I don't mean that in a way that's like, people don't want to do the work, but I I just mean it in a way that you're, you know, you have to confront hard parts of 
of life and of, of your training, you're forced to do all those things. And I don't think everyone has something where they're forced to work on themselves. And that's, you know, that's definitely a privilege. Like I'm sure like with what you do and the, your writing, hiking, like this podcast, you know, you're forced, you've created spaces where you're forced to work on yourself. And for me, that's running, but not everybody gets to do, you know, not everybody's writing books. Not everyone's able to do these incredible hikes. Not everyone um, gets those opportunities. So I don't think you let them go easily. It's always going to be worth it. Yeah. I mean, in what you're saying, I, it resonates with me a lot. The thing that I value pretty much above everything else is growth and like within myself, I mean, and you're right, like that, that doesn't happen by accident. It's like a real dedicated self-inquiry process. And then putting yourself in situations like where you're choosing courage over comfort, right? Where you're like going through, like you said, that process and those types of things where you're forced, obviously not in like oppressive, you know, coercive way, like you mentioned, but where you essentially like in order to do the thing, you have to become better. Like you have to become a better, stronger, tougher, you know, whatever version of yourself. There's something in that that's really appealing to me. Yeah. And right. It would be, it's really easy not to have to do any of those things the way that we live. And that's not like a knock on the way we live. I just think that we've created a lot of things to avoid hard feelings. (laughs) Nobody wants to feel vulnerable. Nobody wants to feel sad. Nobody wants to like confront things that they don't like about themselves. Nobody really wants to do that, but to have something where you're forced to, because you know that it's going to yield positive results within yourself. Like that's if once you figure out whatever it is to be able to do that, you're not going to not do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I completely agree that like very much explains why I started getting into long distance hiking. And like, I remember the second long hike that I did, you know, people would ask, you know, why are you doing this? And obviously I'm sure like with running for you, there's lots of different reasons. There's different angles, you know, that I could talk about it. But I'm like, the simplest answer is I'm doing this thing because I don't think that I can do this thing. And there's like something in that that's very appealing to me. Yeah, of course it is. I think that that's more innate than a lot of people realize. Of course, not everyone's going to find it in running, not everyone's going to find it in hiking, but there is some type of challenge for every person that's, they don't feel like they can do. And that should probably, you know, awaken something within them to try it anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Definitely. So take us behind the scenes at the Olympic Games in Rio a little bit. What's something about competing at the Olympics that you think most folks wouldn't know? Hmm. I would say, again, I don't know that this is something particular about competing competing in the Olympics. I think it's just something about competition in general. You don't really get to see any of, you know, failure or triumph before the games. Usually it's just like you're, everyone is thrown to watch this incredible stage of people putting their life's work into, you know, a 15 minute race, a 30 minute race, a, you know, a soccer match or whatever it may be. So I think sometimes it's missed on people, just the amount of just the body of work that is put behind all of the athletes that they see out there, you know, making themselves vulnerable to the possibility of something good happening. So, yeah, I don't know that that is something that people don't 
no, but I don't know that it's something that they really think about. We mostly just look at people who do really well and immediately say that they're super talented or immediately just point to, you know, they got really lucky or all these scenarios, which play roles within any sport or job. You know, you got to have some luck, you got to have some um, talent, but I think that the body of work is going to be, is way more impressive to me than any one race or um, one event. Yeah. I think that's incredibly well said this idea. I mean, and I think it translates, like you said, to other, you know, arenas as well that, you know, someone having a New York times bestselling book, right. It, it's not, you know, any quote overnight success is not, you know, or like I would say like 99 point whatever percent of them are not this idea of like all of it that went behind it. Like that was, it, it's funny that you bring that up because that's something I was, you know, I was at the Olympic trials in, in 2016 for Kate and, you know, with her race specifically, like it was just so wild to me that I'm like, your entire, your like future can change based on a two it's this race is like two minutes, you know what I mean? Like two minutes in like yeah. any other context. Like, I mean, two minutes, it's going to take me sometimes. Like, I, I don't even know. Like it takes two, like two minutes is nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. and like, and obviously, like you said, like to then like step back and be like, but it's not two minutes or it's not, you know, three rounds of the event. Like it's years and years and years and sometimes like decades for people. Yeah, and I I don't think that when we sit down to watch anything or see someone who's really good at what they do, I don't feel like we mean to say that or feel that way, but it's just, you're always just that immediate awe for some reason always turns into, wow, like they're lucky, they're talented, you know, they're, I just feel like immediately you're always pointed traits that really have nothing to do with how that person is to be who they are, how they got there. Um, so it's not on purpose by any means. And, but I, for some reason, I think that that's still something that everyone, including myself really struggles with is understanding the time it takes to really have consistent, um, or even, you know, one time incredible results is a lot of background work. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of like, like the, the end result, especially something like this, like you get a medal, you're on a stage, right? Like it's a whole thing is really sexy. And so much of the work is very unsexy. Yeah. But I would even say that it's not, it is a really cool and attractive part of any sort of growth. Like I don't, I wouldn't say that it's, I just, for some reason, I just don't think we look to that, but I do think that there's aspects of it that we could see more of ourselves in, in the work than we could in the end result. Yeah. Like, (laughs) so it's just strange that that's what we look to, because if I'm seeing somebody who is a lawyer and I see them studying writing papers every day, you know, up till, I don't know what hour of the morning, you know, I feel like I can resonate with that type of work and that type of just, I don't know if I can make it through. I'm exhausted. You know, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? Uh, I resonate so much more with those feelings and, you know, that visual than probably like the last hundred meters of Usain Bolt's, um, you know, Olympic gold medal performance. And that's not to say I'm not in awe of that. I don't think that's an incredible sporting moment. I just, I don't, I don't know why I put the pressure or I don't know why we all put the pressure on ourselves to look like that instead of 
put the pressure on myself to look like everybody who's doing the work, you know? Yeah. No, (laughs) I I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, and, but I, and I think, yeah, that it just, it can, it can be, I think the narrative, it just can be like overlooked, right? Like I think everyone knows that doing big things takes hard work, right? But you, like you said, like the just focus isn't there as much on, you know, the falling in love with the process, which is what it's going to take to make anything like that happen. Yeah. I think that we all know that deep down, but again, yeah, for some reason have to just kind of unlock something else in our brains for, to see that first rather than the, um, rather than that big, that big end result. Yeah. So when you were talking earlier about in the lead up to big races, I think you used the phrase flipping a switch, like within inside yourself. I'm interested as you have like moved up in your career and obviously been like running, competing on larger stages. What does it look like to either, I don't know, like what helps you to handle the pressure or like, have you ever struggled with kind of like imposter syndrome or belonging issues? Like when you said flipping the switch, it seemed like it sort of spoke to that, but I'd be interested to hear more about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would be a human on earth if I didn't say that I never suffered through belonging issues or not having, you know, confidence, feeling weary about not seeing myself in people that I, you know, that I'm with constantly, just like having all of those things, I think play, played a role in my life, still play a role. You know, I think as, as I've gotten older, I've been able to not really allow those things to kind of just put a blanket over everything and really just make everything in my life more difficult from just those, those types of feelings. But yeah, I I think I've been recently just focusing a lot on, Hey, you don't have to figure everything out before you get on the line, you know? you can still do all the, all of the important self-work. You can still be, you know, a curious person and, and still continue to develop without um, like sacrificing the opportunity to just be on the line in a race and feel just like free of all that burden. And I guess that's like what flipping the switch for me means is, yeah, of course I want to be like this, incredible, confident, smart, funny person. I want to feel that within myself at all times, but I don't. So I'm not going to let that ruin a race or something that I really love running. I can still figure all that stuff out later. I can still work on that, but I'm not going to let it spoil like this uh, thing that I have in running. (laughs) Yeah. So being able to like compartmentalize somewhat. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's something that I have struggled with in the past just because I I think it lends to just like having perfectionist tendencies, wanting things to align in your life and in your job with your friends, like wanting to be able to check the boxes and say everything and every place is in, is in its place. I'm in a good place. And that just isn't realistic. (laughs) So yeah, just moving forward, just trying to compartmentalize who I am or what I'm working on in my, in my life. And then we know the competitor I want to be on the track. Mm -hmm. 
is there anything, let's say, you know, someone who's listening to this is a runner who struggles a lot with nerves, like particularly pre-race nerves, any advice that you can share from all of your experience? I mean, first one off the bat is, you know, you're nervous because you care about what you're doing. That nerves are a good thing. I think if you're feeling nervous, it should just be kind of a cue to you that this is somewhere that you want to be. And that's always something that I, you know, my best races or when I feel at my best, I think I'm always just like, wow, I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm excited about this, this competition and just really recognizing the nerves and saying, Hey, that's my, that's me telling myself that this is what I've been working for. And I think sometimes you sense the nerves and think, Oh gosh, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? I, I'm having these feelings because I shouldn't be here. And I think just remembering that it's the exact opposite, having a routine that you have to go through. You know, I do the same warm ups every time I go out to race. And that's something that just calms me because it's a set of, you know, movements that I know are that I use every time to prepare my body to be at its best. So if I go and I do my warm up and I do those drills, it just kind of feels like a signal that I can send to myself of this is me prepping my arms, my legs, everything physical to really just get ready. And I think just having that routine, that set pattern that you go through, I think your brain recognizes those things and can put nerves aside when you're sending it these messages of like, hey, we're doing this because it's almost go time. So, you know, don't. don't panic. Yeah, I I love that. And so other than kind of a pre-race warm up, you know, when it either comes to any other part of your training cycle or anything in your life in general, do you have any other routines that are really grounding for you? I am definitely a routine oriented person. I I think my whole, (laughs) my whole life is pretty structured and, and, in a way that, you know, structure gives me freedom. Like if I leave my house the same time every day to get to practice, I I feel like I'm not stressed about getting to practice because this is the same routine that I do every morning. This is the time that I wake up. And I think just like having that aspect of structure for me really gives me, which, you know, it's not the same for everyone, but it feels like it gives me more freedom to relax and to feel less under pressure. It also just gives me a tremendous amount of of confidence because, you know, if I set a goal and, you know, I make those action steps to hold myself accountable, being in a routine is something that I use to tell myself like, Hey, this is me committing to the work. This is me, you know, signing up to do all the hard things. And, you know, when I get to a race, I can look back and say, you know, I, you know, I got up every morning to do, to go to practice. You know, I didn't, and that, you know, I didn't go to bed late because I knew that I had to wake up at this time. I did all the things. I aligned myself with all the things that I wanted to accomplish. And I just personally think structure is something that helps with with that freedom and with confidence. But again, I don't think that it's for everyone. 
I know that obviously at some point you have to let loose and you have to relax and, and you can't be held down to all these rigid dimensions. But for me, it works. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time. I also don't don't think it has to be this like uh, you know either or binary thing. Like either your life is super structured, like or you have fun. <laughs> I don't think you're saying that yeah. it has to be one or the other. But I think what I, it's interesting. You didn't use this word, but what I am hearing or like what's coming up for me as you just shared that specifically is like this kind of routine. Like obviously you're using the word structure. I think commitment is also you know applicable, and the way someone fulfills a commitment might look different than the way someone else does. But like all of that to me boils down into you have respect for yourself and your goals. Like these things are important and they're not going to happen by accident. And there's like something, I don't know, it's like an an area of self-love that I think that isn't talked about very much or like self-care, right? That like showing up for yourself in the ways that you just described, I feel like that's really powerful. Yeah, I think, again, you definitely summed up, maybe the way that I explained it was a little too, um, a little too rigid and being hard on myself on that way. But I do agree that it's just, you know, I want to show up for myself. I want, even when I don't always believe in myself, I want to believe in myself. So by setting these guidelines for myself, by setting these standards, I I feel like I'm able to, even if I'm, you know, kind of wavering mentally on some days or through some periods of training, what I, I can look back and say like, okay, I set this plan in place because there was a certain time on whatever day, whatever time where I believe that this was possible. And, you know, I owe it to myself to continue to pursue this goal, you know, through this avenue by setting these standards for myself or by setting this schedule. Yeah. 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 I love, yeah. I love that so much. I, something that I am always interested in, like an ongoing obsession of mine is, and obviously there's no one answer to this, but sort of like the question of how we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do, right? Like how that, or like what we actually do in our regular lives. I'm interested in how that plays out for different people. And I would love to get into the nitty gritty a little bit for you on like what goal setting looks like, you know, like obviously you mentioned a couple different times, like, you know, different goals or set this goal. Do you have a particular like strategy for goal setting? Like how does that work in your real life these days? I think that was one of the hardest parts of transitioning from college to professional running is there are so many ways to set goals as a professional And in college, it just felt so cut and dry. Like you wanted to, just for reference, like collegiate running, you have your conference meet, which is, you know, regionally, all of the colleges around you, you qualify from conference to your regional meet. And then from regionals, you go to nationals competing against um, all of the division one schools in the U.S. that, you know, qualified for this meet. And I felt like those were just such perfect steps was, you know, maybe my freshman year I'm focused on, I, I want to win or I want to score points for my conference, for my team. You know, maybe your sophomore year you're looking at, I want to be on, or maybe as early as your freshman year, you know, I want to be on that national team. You make it to nationals. After that, you focus on, you know, I want to score points at nationals. You know, my senior year, I want to win a national title. Those felt just like growing steps that were laid out for me. And then you get to professional and then professional running, you know, there's the roads, there's the track, there's marathoning, there's, um, there's trail running, there's, um, there's USA's and then there's other, um, there's the diamond league, which is 
a competitive track circuit with all, um, you know, all the best runners of the world run, run these meets. There's just so many different ways, you know, someone could win a diamond league meet, but then not qualify to make the U S team. Someone could be on an Olympic team, but not ever get on the podium in a major marathon. There's just like so many different avenues for success. And I felt like I came in and I was just so general with myself. I was like, I just want to be good. Um, you know, I want to run fast. I want to, I want to make a team because those, you know, those felt like the things recognizable in the sport that allowed you to have longevity and allowed you to kind of like be in the conversation of the sport. So I was like, okay, like if I want to continue to have this as a career, like these are the things that I want to do, or these are the things I need to be able to do. But like anyone who's ever made a goal before, it's just like general goals are not motivating. <laughs> Um, if you're looking at outside expectations or standards, it's not going to resonate internally with your motivation. Um, so those are things that I definitely struggled with early on. And, you know, now I, I feel really clear on if I start a season, I have to, like, for example, I just ran U.S. cross country this past fall. And, you know, I have an index card with it says you know, small wins win on the front, on the back. I have, um, you know, I want to win a national title in cross country, be my first national title. You know, it felt like a good opportunity early on in the year to really have something to focus on. You know, second goal is I want to place top three, which anyone who does track and field, just getting yourself used to being on a podium spot is, you know, always, a good habit to be in. You want to make teams that, you know, you have to get used to being top three in, in a U.S. race. And then, you know, lastly, I just wrote on it that I wanted to make the um, world cross team, which there's a world championships this um, this coming March in, in Denmark. And those were three things that like I can look at those. I can make action steps from that into, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get this amount of sleep each night. I'm going to, you know, work to make sure that I get enough nutrients in my diet. You know, I'm going to ask these things of myself at practice. I'm going to run this type of mileage. And it just gives you something to focus on other than that outcome. And and I think just having those general goals, you know, you're constantly just thinking about the outcome or what's going to happen, what could happen instead of where you are now. And, you know, everyone's guilty of getting lost in, in the future and in what could be and all of these things like visualization is an important part of what, what I do. And I'm sure of what a lot of people do, but I really think that having those like concrete goals early on allow you to really focus in on creating like day-to-day steps and that in turn takes over your focus so you're not really getting anxiety or stressing about the future or you know what you how far along you should be or what you should be doing instead you're just kind of like these are the things that I have committed to you know this is this is what I have to work on this is where my focus is. 
Yeah. I mean, and I love how specific you just got to about, okay, these were, you know, three goals and then, but it's not just pick the goals, right? And like you said, visualize them. It's then the step of, okay, what's the process? What does the work take to like put myself, to set myself up for success, like where that's even possible? Because I mean, you mentioned luck before, like there's a huge role of luck in success, right? Like you can do all of the things and it can still not come together on the day or someone else performs better or right. Like there's only so much outcome wise that we can actually control, right? And I think that's not just (laughs) related to running. I think that's everything, but it's like the pivot that you're making of focus on the things that are within your power to do and like, you know, excel at those things and have a high standard for those things. Yeah. And for, it's just, it's so, I think your brain just drifts so easily to that, that what you can't control, (laughs) that it's just, you put so much work into, or there's just so much opportunity in the day for things you can control. But again, I, I feel like it's so easily to drift off to the things that you can. And you just kind of realize for me personally, just like had to make the mistake and realize that it's not working and then make the adjustment. But you just waste, I don't want to say it's wasted time because uh, I, I, you know, you do learn things from that or it does like once you recognize it can be like a huge perspective shift. But I do think I have in the past spent a lot of time just like fixated on the outcome, which, you know, I can't have any say in unless I first do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So I might as well focus on that. Yeah. Focusing on those things and, you know, see what happens. There's a certain amount of surrender, even in what you're talking about too, which it's like being really focused, doing the things you can do and showing up on the day and also, okay, what's going to happen from there is just what's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I think that that allows for more, for it to feel more like play and for it to be more fun. It's just like, by the time you get to the line, it's like, look, I did everything I could. Why am I going to continue to, you know, run this race for the next however many minutes or do this task and continue to stress about what is going to happen or the outcome. Why don't I just do the work before, be excited that I made it to this opportunity healthy and then really just enjoy what I'm doing, have fun, you know, not feel limited by what other people have done or what, what I think that they're capable of you know, why don't I focus on what I'm capable of? Why don't I enjoy who I am on race day and really just kind of revel in that experience instead of just, you know, I've been in races before where I'm just, you know, for 15 or 30 minutes, I'm just thinking like, what's going to happen? Who's going to move first? Why, how fast is it going to go? I don't think I can go any faster. I've spent entire races, you know, worried that I wouldn't be able to finish as fast as I would need to, to be able to win or to be able to make the team and, and go figure, you know, like you're not going to be able to finish fast. If that's what you're thinking about, you're not going to be able to complete whatever task you're doing, um, successfully if that's where your head is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So while we're talking about specific goals a little bit, when you look at the next, I don't know, let's say two years, will you share a couple of your goals? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one, I, like I mentioned before, I went to the cross country race and I wanted to win a national title. I placed third. Um, so that's still um, a goal of mine on the track. I'm not like held down to a specific distance, whether it be in a 10K, 
or the 5k or in cross country, I, I would just really, you know, love to love to win a national title. I want to this summer, there's the world championships in Doha. So that I'm looking to place top three again and the U.S. championships to make that team. And yeah, I mean, those are specific to to the sport, but I really feel as if even more so than like winning something or placing top three, I just, I really want to continue to like hone better um, mental skills so that I'm just really, you know, I just feel like confidence. And I definitely said this before, is just such a dangerous thing to have as any person. And if you really show up with that um, consistently, um, I think it can be pretty transformative. So um, that's, I guess, not in the realm of specific goals, but just doing, just reading, just reading books, whether it be listening to podcasts, talking through things with my parents or um, all those things, I, I think really that's something that I want to unlock within myself is just really knowing this, what tiny cues you need or, or I need for um, to be my most confident and just like most assured self on, on race day. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about disappointment, um, disappointment, failure, you know, anything in that, in that camp. How has your relationship with that changed like throughout your career? How do you work through, you know, periods of time, you know, where the outcome was disappointing or your performance, you know, felt disappointing to you? I think disappointment honestly still hits me as hard as it did, like when I was 10, as it does when I'm 27 now. I think that that's just, I feel a lot <laughs> through disappointment. Like that, that's something that's hard for me. But I would say the thing that has changed or are the place where I feel like I've grown the most is when I was younger and I got disappointed, you know, it feel, felt like it would last forever. Like, I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to be able to figure out what to do. And I think now when I'm as I'm older and I'm disappointed, I'm not like scared by that sadness. Like, I know that this is something that exists and I'm going to be sad about it. That's OK. And it could take you know, one day or two days, it could take a week, but I feel much more assured now that I'm older that it's like, okay, I can get out of this. I'm going to just continue to wake up each morning, like calling my sister, calling my parents, like doing all those things, running with teammates. Like I felt like sometimes before when I was younger, it's like you feel failure or you're sad and you immediately kind of like retreat within yourself. And I still think I have like aspects of that where it's just like, I want to be able to deal with this issue within myself before I'm like approaching other people. But I, I feel much more confident of like, Hey, I can still um, like, I know what this feeling is. I've been here before. I've seen this type of sadness. Um, but I know that there's still like the next goal to be had. And I just think I'm more able to just recognize patterns or feelings within myself, which is just something nice to know instead of just trying to 
never feel disappointment or sadness. Yeah, I think there's an incredibly powerful lesson in what you're saying. This Because it sounds really simple, you know, let yourself feel your feelings, right? Like, let it be okay that you're disappointed. And I think you're right in that that's something, like, it's such an uncomfortable place to be. No one likes feeling like they failed. No one likes feeling, you know, disappointed or discouraged or defeated or any of these things. And so I do think that we'll do a lot of, like, mental gymnastics or not even that, like, you know, we don't take the risks because, you know, not doing the thing feels less painful than potentially the disappointment. And sort of what you're speaking to is that you can be disappointed and it's not going to kill you. Right. And like, you can feel that way really acutely for a day, a week, two weeks, whatever. And eventually you're going to feel different in this kind of idea that like you can do hard things and you can keep going even if, you know, there are setbacks like that in and of itself as like a mentality to cultivate, I feel like works well, you know, in any, you know, arena. Yeah. I think that that's, I don't know, even now if I like, Oh my God, call my mom. I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed about how I did or, you know, I'm upset with how practice went today. You know, I, I wanted to be better. You know, I felt like I was better than than this. And I'm just, I'm upset with, with that. And I feel like even now, my parents will just be like, you know, get over it. <laughs> Keep it moving. And even to myself, like, one of my new favorite things to say is like, what are you going to do about it? Like, okay, you're upset. Feel that. And then find the next stage of things to figure out a solution for it. You don't have to erase those feelings completely, but you do have to have a way to deal with them and also a way to move forward. You know, no one's thinking about the race you ran three months ago still, you know, that's just you. So if you're stuck there, that's kind of becomes your own fault. Not, not anybody else's like everyone, the wheels for everyone else is still moving forward. And you know, this is your existence, you know, like you have to show up for yourself. So if you want to keep things where they are three months ago, you know, that's your right. You can do that. I don't know how fun that's going to be, but you do also have the opportunity to move forward and, you know, to see what's three months from now look like instead of three months in the past. Like that could be a whole new exciting journey for you to take. And if, you may never get there if you're still stuck, um, stuck in the past. So I just, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say that I feel disappointment differently than I ever have. I think I just have a better hold and perspective on it. And I'm almost, you know, when I'm disappointed again, it's almost just like a high roll, you know, I've been here before <laughs> this, this has happened too many times for for me to uh, really enjoy its company, but here we go again kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, but I love what you're speaking to it. It normalizes it a little bit. Like I think I laugh sometimes and this might be kind of like a strange example, but I think about this with writing of kind of the anxiety that I feel about the blank page sometimes like, okay, even though I do this every week or every, you know, whatever, still I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to have anything to say, you know, and sometimes that comes up more strongly than others. But it's like, so it's gotten to the point where I like think it's cute almost when it happens, which doesn't mean that I hate it any less, but that I'm like, some things just don't get solved, 
Like it, they just keep coming up and like, what if that's fine? What if I can give myself permission to like do the thing anyway, you know? And I, I feel like that's sort of coming up for me with what you're saying with disappointment, right? That it's not that you don't experience it and it's not that it doesn't hurt, but there's like a permission both to let yourself feel it and then also to let yourself move on with your life. Yeah, exactly. It's just you, again, you're, you, for you, it's writing. So it's like first time you started writing a book and you saw the bank page, you're like, I'm giving up. I'm not, there's no way that I can write a whole book. I can't even finish, finish, finish this page, you know, now, however many years later you see the blank page and it's like, yeah, of course you're still frustrated. You don't have an idea, but you're like, I filled this page before yeah. <laughs> I, I know I can write. So it's going to fill itself sometime. I know I'm going to, I just think that the gap shrinks of how long you dwell on things. Yes, I, I, to- I totally the agree. Feeling changes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, and well, I mean, and that's the, the value of experience, right? Like you learn how to do the thing by doing the thing, right? It's not that action necessarily cures fear, but it, I think it gives you a lot more coping mechanisms. Yeah, and that, which I think was also something that was harder for me when I was younger was just like first step. I could plan this whole thing in my head. I could have all these ideas about what I wanted to do or this great idea that I have or this place I want to travel to. But it was just like those first steps. It took me, it takes me so much longer to do it. Now I'm like, all right, if I want to say it, I'm going to say it. If I don't, I won't, I won't have this period of time where I'm just dwelling and overthinking that, um, you know, you just like what you said. Yeah. You do the thing by doing the thing. It's like, there's no other way to learn. There's no other way to fail. You kind of just have to try it and, you know, figure it out. And I think people get caught up in, oh, if I'm trying this thing, I'm still like spending time on it. So I could be taking away from my time on if I just knew what the right solution is. But it's like, you're never going to know what the right solution is unless you give something a try. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm curious about with you, with running, with your career choice, I mean, it isn't a typical nine to five, Monday through Friday, you know, when I'm done, I'm done. Um, I mean, it's more of like a daily thing. And like you said, it's everything from when you go to sleep to, you know, all the other things that go into it. It's not like, you know, you're only running during, you know, normal business hours or anything like that. I'm interested in sort of like what works for you to make space for other things, like to not let running consume everything. Uh, I feel like this is a hard question and I don't know if I'll be answering it in a way that, um, is makes sense for like people may say, Oh, you're still spending time on running. But I think for like where I am right now, I am, I feel invested in this like particular passion that I have and okay. I may not be running all the time, but I, I do still do think if I'm reading an article, you know, it could be about big tech or Amazon or something like that. I'm still looking for things that can contribute to me being a better runner. So I do think it's just like, I'll, I'll do other things. Um, I'm interested in other things. I don't, I don't feel like I fill my whole day with just thinking about when's the next practice, when's the next run, when, when am I racing all those things? But, But I do feel as though if I am doing something else, I am still looking for messages or for, for guidance for this big picture thing of running that I am doing. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a really honest answer. I love that. It makes me think, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this, something that Kate and I have talked about a couple of times, you know, is 
how unique the essentially like time limit is on, you know, what you guys have chosen to do. It's, you know, not that you can't be a lifelong runner, but you're not going to be like 67 making the Olympic team, right? Like probably. And this idea of like going all in on something because it is like relatively finite that, you know, maybe wouldn't be the case, you know, if you were a lawyer or something else, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I don't know who necessarily coined this terminology or um, this idea, but just the concept of balance just isn't, I don't know, it's, it's okay to be all in on some one thing. It doesn't mean you're all in it for the rest of your life, but it is okay to recognize that something's not going to last forever. And while some people may seek balance as like, I do my nine to five and I also have, you know, I have this art class that I take or, you know, I have my kids and and that offers relief. Um, But I think having a more traditional career or even having children, like that's a lifelong pursuit that you're, you know, you're you're with for from whenever you start the commitment till um, till, you know, till the end. So I, and I think for something like running or a non-traditional type career, it's just like you recognize that it's not forever. So to have your balance or to have your scale tipped in one way for, you know, this 10, 15, you know, for some people, maybe it's less than that, whatever it may be. I think that's okay. And, and you want to be able to finish something that is, that isn't forever with, being able to say, I I really did commit everything I possibly could have to it. Uh, I really did take this period of time to just explore these limits within myself. And I'm okay with that. And I don't really, you know, I think you address the balance or you address needing outside things if you're unhappy, if you are, if your results are not showing up for you the way that you think that they could be, if you had, you know, a job in addition to running, or if you, I don't know, were, had a blog or all of these sorts of things that you felt like could contribute to your running. I think that's what we're all doing. Even when people have quote unquote, like outside hobbies, I that's something that takes their mind off of running for this period of day, which in turn helps them perform better. So, you know, I, I do think we're all kind of just in this dance of filling things to contribute to our one main thing. Um, it's just whether or not you have found your particular passion or whether or not you recognize that yet. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So the last thing that I want to ask you is along the lines of legacy. And I mean, this can be about running or, you know, otherwise, what do you want to be known for? Mm, Tough questions. (laughs) I, I think it's too, too soon to paint like a legacy picture. Um, I also don't know that that's something that you craft I think other people write that narrative like I don't know that I could say this is the legacy I'm leaving because for some for another person they see a completely different picture I think I'm just focused on like having showing up with 
a good attitude, like having a strong character, having, having values that I am using to, uh, like to direct me, uh, in the way that I communicate with people and just how I navigate through life. I think if I'm not really focused on this is the stamp that I want to leave here for these people, I don't think that that's ever something that works when you tell people how to see you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they, <laughs> that that's really something people are responsive to you. I think you set the tone with your attitude and, and how you show up to do your work and, and people kind of feed off of that rather than what you, what you tell them. But I also think that that's just the kind of person I am. There are plenty of people or leaders that are more gifted in verbally asserting themselves. But I don't think that's something I could say with words. This is a legacy that I want to leave. I think, yeah, for me, it's more just, I have, I have values. I have ideas. I have goals. I have all of these things that I, that I want to address and, and that I want to kind of put the pieces together of and and I'm hoping that that by doing that um someone people want to be around and some someone that has something to contribute to whatever next step of life there is I guess yeah no I, I love that I think I mean all your answers are are so honest I love that I think that's a good place to start to wrap up um the way that we end these episodes are with a series of kind of rapid fire ish community questions so um my Patreon community the awesome folks who support and fund the show kind of we come together to pick um this season it's eight questions that all eight guests will be answering the same eight questions if you're down to answer eight random questions oh yeah that sounds good. What's something that you do purely for fun and joy? Mm, probably dance. <laughs> Can't ever say that. Um, I live alone, so there are a lot of random cooking dance parties just for me. Hopefully my neighbors cannot see or hear my feet. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's something like I love watching dance. And yeah, when you're feeling good, feeling happy pretty easy to turn on some music and just kind of be yourself. So for the next question that I'm interested, particularly, you know, you travel a lot. I know that what's something that really makes you feel at home? Uh, Probably sense. I travel with candles or I feel like I also have just a very sensitive nose. (laughs) Um, So having a scent that, is comforting traveling with that, I think helps. What's one thing that you do in your most important relationships that you think helps to keep them strong and healthy? What's like a little specific superpower or regular maintenance thing that you do? I would say consistently calling, checking in, telling people that, that you love them or that they're doing a good job, that they're good at what they do. I think especially for like, if you're doing something like running, my family's always those things. It's easy. You get a lot of messages of good job and, you know, you're great. They're good at what you do, but just being able to reciprocate that onto other people, telling them that they're good at what they do, they're smart, that you love them, checking in with those like simple messages like that. I don't know 
not everyone gets to hear that all the time. Yeah. What are three things that you are feeling grateful for lately? Three things, um, family, team and health. Um, yeah, I think injury in this sport is pretty common. My family is, has been supportive of me since, you know, my first track practice. I feel like they've realized even in times where I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I think they know that that's more fear-based than actual fact. They, they really um, encourage me and challenge me to figure out the formula for the best me and, you know, having 10 plus women, 10 plus men, some of the best, um, track and field athletes in the world, training with them every day, you just pick up on incredible habits and just also the, their attitude, what they come to work with every day. Um, it's pretty inspiring. That could be a whole other conversation of things that you've learned from your teammates, but uh, maybe another time yeah. we will have that conversation. <laughs> um, the next question is about boundaries. What's one boundary of yours that's important to you? I feel like I'm coming back to space. <laughs> I, I do think that I, um, there's some times where I just need to kind of, um, detox solo. And I, you know, for some people that you got to vent to your friends. Um, for me, sometimes I think I just need to have, you know, it doesn't have to be days at a time, but just especially, you know, we spend most of the year at altitude camp, you know, you're living with four or five other women every day, you're running with them every day. And I think sometimes you, that, that just means that you're always in a comparison game. You're always seeing people have good days, people have bad days. And I think sometimes you become less self-aware and lose yourself a little bit. You know, you're either always trying to be somebody else or you're always caring for somebody else or just doing things that can, um, I think just eat away at your most like energized self. And, and so for me, I think just recognizing when you need just, you know, maybe like a walk through the grocery store solo or (laughs) just those little moments of time where you can just re, uh, re-familiarize yourself with, with yourself. Um, so I think sometimes just in big group settings, you you can forget to do that. Yeah. I think that's incredibly well said. Um, what's one of the last things that you felt really excited about? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think I'm always just excited about the work that I'm putting in. Um, I'm, I, I just feel proud that once again, that I am fortunate that I have running, that I have something, I, you know, I think I hear so much about people finding their passion and, you know, that's the key to life and success. And it's just, I imagine those words to be so hard to hear if you haven't found that, <laughs> if you don't know something particularly that just like lights you on fire, gets you up in the morning. And so, you know, I'm excited each morning to go run. Some runs are more fun than others, but I do love that I have this thing in my life that I work every day towards. So I'm pretty excited about that most days. Yeah. Next question is about books, which two or three books, any kind of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Um, 
I mean, my favorite book that this has been the same thing that I probably read this book at least once a year is Americana. It's I just that and um, home home going just those two stories I just feel like have been really special to me. I, I like narratives that are kind of coming of age, you know, probably most likely because those are things that in your 20s that you're going through and, and you're just trying to figure out, like navigate yourself and other people and your family. Um, so I do, I really love um, just those coming of age stories that deal with with race and that deal with traveling, that deal with relationships. I think, you know, I can find characters in those stories that I'm like, I want to be this person's friend. You know, their jokes, I'm laughing at them. And yeah, I just think that those stories are really comforting again, because it's always nice to hear messages and stories that resonate with things that you've gone through. It just we all know that we're not the only ones going through hard things or things that we um, see as hard, but for some reason, it's not enough just to know that you have to read it, you have to see it on TV, you have to hear people talk about it. And I think just those like coming of age stories, those two in particular, um, I really just enjoy. Mm-hmm. The last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I, I would say just biggest thing that I feel like I'm working on just like, again, being in a team setting also just with all that is in our world today is perspective. Like even if I don't agree or I understand why someone's acting in this particular way or said these things to me, just understanding like this is where this person is coming from. This is their upbringing this is the the story they've been told you know I don't have to blame them for acting in an ignorant way or saying something that hurts my feelings I just have to like have a perspective shift be able to at least you know I don't have to agree with it but be able to at least understand how this person came to have this idea or feel this way um and then you know you can approach it. I, th- I think it's just easier to approach things in, in that way. And it makes life a lot more enjoyable if you're just not constantly upset with everything that isn't your, the way that you want it to go or mm-hmm. what you deem as right and wrong. Um, so yeah, just having, being able to have perspective shift and being able to kind of, uh, at least attempt to walk in the shoes, find different outlets for you to be able to better understand that frame of reference. I think that's been helpful. Yeah. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, I am mostly on Instagram at Marielle Hall with three L's. And I recently just made a Twitter. So that's at Marielle, I think it's Marielle 16. So yeah, hopefully those will be the two ways that I'm out there in the world. I love it. I will put links to those things in the show notes. Marielle, thank you so much. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. 
And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net, so go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. We're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. Absolutely. What are you totally obsessed with right now? I am obsessed with my mental health and practicing good mental health. It's very, it's very exciting for me because I have – well, this isn't exciting. I've struggled with anxiety for many years, but in the last like two months, I figured out essentially healthy habits to keep my mental health in a good place. So, so that's really fun. A totally to, it, awesome. Just to obsession. feel good. Yeah. 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 I mean, I can't remember if it was on Instagram or if it was by email that we were having this conversation where you were like, I finally feel better. And like, it's just the best, yes. it's the best. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the fun part about it is it's, everything is really simple and doable. It's just doing it. So, I mean, one of the things on my list is cleaning my apartment. <laughs> like I feel better when I'm in a clean and tidy space. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. And obviously, you know, sometimes we can do all of the quote right things and, you know, still have like flare ups or episodes or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But Mm -hmm. like just overarchingly, like what you're speaking to, this idea of like being honest with yourself about the things that more often than not tend to make things better. And then like just give yourself permission to do those things to the best of your ability. Like I think about this too. Like I do know what the things are. And also some of the things that are like supposed to work don't, right? And vice Mm -hmm. versa. And so it's like being honest with myself about like what actually helps me me. Yes. Yes. And I, the, the underlining thing between all the actions is that mood follows action. And I've been a runner for 19 years. So I know that, you know, a lot of times I don't feel like going for a run, but then I do it and I feel better. So it's applying that same idea and attitude toward things like doing the dishes, <laughs> right? Like I know I'll feel better when I do this. So just get up and do it. And it's, it's been helpful. And the better I feel, you know, like the, the more I do things like the dishes or tidying up, the better I feel. And then I do the next thing that makes me feel good. And it just, it's putting me in a, just a more consistent, good mood, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Yeah. I love that, that idea that like mood follows action. I feel like that was one of the big, um, learning lessons that I had from running to this idea that like, you don't have to be in the mood to do the thing in order to do the thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's an intentional money related decision that you've made recently? So in the last few months, I've been transitioning all of my money from a large national bank to a local credit union. And I have no idea if it's going to really make a difference, but it feels a lot more comfortable to have my money like at a place up the road than in like Huntington Bank where who knows where it is. So it was just, it was more of a comfort thing, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. And they've been really nice when I've gone in there to ask questions or do some banking stuff. It's so easy. Yeah. I did that a couple years ago, this like switch for basically from Wells Fargo to a credit union. And for me, it was like, Wells Fargo just did like one too many shady things or like things that were out of yeah. alignment with my beliefs. And again, I'm like, is, is moving my like relatively small amount of money? Like, does it make a difference? <laughs> I don't know, but it follows like the principles that I believe in, which is that like what you do with your money is some kind of vote, you know? Yeah. It just, it feels a lot safer. Like, I don't know what's going to happen financially. I'm, I don't know much about economics, but it just feels really nice to have it local. Yeah. 
What's one thing that you've been struggling with lately that you've found challenging? Uh, recycling. <laughs> so I live in a place where the local recycling authority doesn't offer recycling bins and, and stuff to apartments. And, uh, I, you know, it's something I have this like pile of um, like cardboard and paper that I'm like, I, I don't want to throw this away, <laughs> but I need to find out what to do with it. Um, so I'm not not just putting it in a, in a dumpster. And then also I want to compost because I have a lot of food scraps, but then I'm like, but what do I do? Do I dump it under a tree? Am I going to get in trouble? <laughs> like, so just trying to figure out how to do that so I can, you know, feel a little bit better about how I live in the world. Yeah. Figuring out the logistical things that make what you want to do possible. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's something that you would love to learn more about this year? Uh, so an ongoing thing that I really want to put a lot more time in this year is learning about the history and culture um, of various groups of people in America and around the world. So black people, native people, Latinx people, LGBTQ people, um, just to have a deeper understanding of the world I live in so that I can be a better member of this community and, and do more to help. Yeah. Like learning about people whose experiences and identities and everything is different from yours. Yeah. 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 I grew up in a super white area, very, you know, very white rural conservative area. And so I didn't get that naturally growing up, probably like a lot of white people in America. So it's just being very intentional about how I'm spending my time and who I'm paying attention to. Yeah. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Oh, um, having relationships with our parents or other adults who've known us for our whole lives when we are all adults hmm. and just how, how those relationships change, how we perhaps need to create new boundaries, um, just the, the ups and downs of it all. It can be challenging in a way that I don't know that anyone prepared me for. Yeah. This came up in one of the other outros too, like specifically the like relationship with parents thing. And yeah, I can definitely, uh, echo that. That's definitely something I wish people were more mm -hmm. honest about as well. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're mm -hmm. one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since mm -hmm. you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests each season. Can you share why you decided to support the show? Um, one is your emails. <laughs> that was the biggest thing. I absolutely adore your emails. It's like, I'm like, Oh, it's Friday. I'm going to get an email from Nicole today. Um, so that was, that was the number one. I know that you started to, you moved them into the Patreon community at one point And I was like, okay, well I had better pony up because I, I want those emails, but it's been really cool. <laughs> um, I've, and I'm, I'm trying to be a more active member as I'm like coming out of this deep hole of my anxiety, I'm trying to like be more active members in various communities I'm part of. So that's, that's, I think it's going to be really fun for me to continue to like be more active on Patreon and on your uh, Instagram page to talk to other people. I think that'll be really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice way to find people that like might be like-minded in terms of values, but that you wouldn't come across to, like due to like geographic differences or, you know, anything like that. Right, right, mm -hmm. absolutely. Other than the emails, is there something that you particularly enjoy about either being in a community or like one of the bonuses or something? I think it's well, we were just having conversation on the um on the Instagram page about like having friendships as adults and how difficult it is. And I think there were a whole bunch of us on there who are like, I'm super introverted and this is really hard. And it was just nice to see that like I am so far from alone on this. It was just such a relief. 
Yeah. Having more of those like real time topic specific conversations is that's like the main reason that I started a separate Instagram account like for this community. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's funny. Like every time I think like I'm alone or I'm the only one who feels this way, or I feel embarrassed because X, Y, Z, like it's hilarious how much that's not the case. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's something I always remember. Like no matter what's happening, I'm like, okay, there are other people who feel the exact same way. So yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link in case people want to say hi? Yes. I live in the little town of Frankenmuth, Michigan. And, um, my Twitter handle is my name, Lindsay Kanaki, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-K-N-A-K-E. I'm also on Instagram, but I usually keep that private. So. Yeah, totally. Um, and to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content and other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight-episode season. That support means so much to me, and we'll have so much fun getting to know each other after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together like this one. That would be so much fun to get to hang out for a little bit. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 